the music goes right in here. What would you say to all those people who were really bummed out about the fact that we took one week off? Well, thankful that you are bummed out that, you know, you missed the camaraderie, the teaching. But I'm also hoping that the time allowed for the truths of the gospel to simmer, for the spirit to do his work in the heart. That's what comes to mind. Mm. Yeah, actually, if people missed it, that's a really good thing. That's a positive. Now, what, what would you say to people who were so happy we didn't meet? Um, you should check your heart. <laughs> Two, you probably need it the break <laughs> you needed a break yeah so that you would have all the more energy to mm. just press forward in this intentional season mm -hmm. hopefully this will be a catalyst time of growth so that the next season of life after this will be even more fruitful as you listen for the gospel mm -hmm. apply the gospel what do you think i'm happy for them <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes you do need a break. I remember when we would be in class, it would be like a three-hour class, and I was taking a class with uh, Greg Beal, who is, uh, for those of you, most of you don't know who he is, but he is one of the foremost biblical theologians. He was teaching a class called the Old Testament and the New Testament. What a wonderful topic. As wonderful as it was, as dynamic as he was as a lecturer, I so look forward to those five-minute breaks <laughs> that were in the middle, two of them in the middle of that three-hour session. So I can appreciate even having a really great topic with a great lecturer and professor and still thinking, oh, I hope that break comes along really soon because I'm tired. Because it was usually, it was a seven to 10 class, just like when Gospel Well is. Coincidentally, Greg Beal just published a book on union with Christ. Really? Yeah. Michael and I, mm -hmm. we happened to get the email announcing that book, and Michael Ochoa, he's already reading that book. Oh, my. Yeah. His impression was that it's very dense, just like, <laughs> just like Greg Beal would be. Yes, of course. Yes. If you get a chance to, you don't have to buy it. We have it in our library. But he has a commentary on the book of Revelation, and I took a class with him in seminary on the book of Revelation. And one of the things he used to tell us, first thing he said in our exegesis class in Revelation was that Revelation is not plural. It is singular. It is John's Revelation, not a bunch of Revelations. I think all of us have made that mistake to some sometime in our spiritual lives. And I think I never realized that until the class. Whenever someone says revelations, it's like someone scratching the, the chalkboard with their fingernails. And I remember that comment you from G.K. Beale because I took that class. I don't remember anything else <laughs> except that and... You remember more than that. His commentary is a tome. Well, he was working on it right. while we were taking the class. So it was in the class was sort of his working it out and it was already a tome. The class was a tome. Right. Remember his, uh, the paper we had to write on 
Uh, I guess you could pick any one topic. I did on Revelation 20 on the resurrection of the dead. That was a hard paper. You know, <laughs> that was a hard class. You know, I must have done it on Revelation 21, 3 and 4. Oh. I remember studying it really intensely. Wow. Okay. Why, why are we talking about this? I don't know. <laughs> so, no, it's because of the union with Christ. Yes, uh, Greg Beale. Greg yes. Beale. Right. Yes. The breaks. We were talking about <laughs> the, the breaks. <laughs> That's, That's a right. big sidetrack is... We were talking about, oh, for those of you who are on break, I can appreciate the fact that you could look forward to a, a mid sort of semester break. Right. I understand that. And it doesn't mean you don't like time. So to get back to our topic, I do have a couple of questions for you because you, you spoke. Union with Christ. When I was going through my um, some of the things you had spoken about to, with our small group, I did constantly go back to some of the things that you were saying. And one of the things that was interesting is that the, you know, union with Christ is both a theological term and idea, but it also has incredible practical implications, right? And in some way they are tied into, or adoption is sort of the one sort of fruit of union with Christ. In many ways, a lot of what we've been talking about, and I think moving forward, a lot of what we will be talking about ties into this idea of union with Christ. So maybe my question to you is, in what way does the theological idea of union with Christ, how do you see it really working out in all the different areas practically in a believer's life? All is a too big of a frame, but maybe two or three ways that you think, and I know you touched on it, but maybe just to go a little bit more specific into what that looks like, like, how do you do that? Before I even try to respond to that question, um, I probably mentioned this, but I always think about Professor Tim Trumper of Westminster mentioned this. I think I mentioned his name, but he did a PhD dissertation on union with Christ and adoption. Union with Christ is the biblical truth that underlies so many things. And it's a direct truth from the gospel, the great exchange. Adoption is the personal impact of union with Christ. Once you get united to Christ, God becomes your father, you his child. Adoption and sonship is how we are to experience and think about union with Christ. One of the things I wanted to talk about which I didn't because I wasn't prepared, is the groundwork for fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. First of all, union with Christ, uh, in order to make it happen, you need all three. The result of union with Christ and adoption is that you begin to fellowship with God. God is near because He's united with you. And that fellowship with God and communing with God is the great result of union with Christ. So fellowship isn't just, you know, donuts and food and, of course, with other people. That's true. But union with Christ, adoption, is the way that we enter into that triangular sweet spot. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, we're right in the middle of it. I wish I understood that better. That's all coming from John Owen's book, Communion with the Triune God. So that's one. From that comes the Father's closeness. Not just the transcendence of God, but the imminence of God. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel that God is far away. God doesn't care about us. God does not have a hand in our lives. But union with Christ assures us that he is. 
union with Christ uh, not only helps us to pray to God in Jesus' name, but union with Christ assures that God hears us because he's Father. Mm. There's so many things that come from that. I mean, we're just scratching the surface, mm. right? Another question, two questions that I have for you that I think are off the top of my head. One is, should we have put union with Christ before adoption? One of the things that, for those who are listening to this, might not have realized is that the way that we're trying to approach gospel well is a little different than sonship because we felt as though we were trying to find a logical theological order to the flow of these different topics. We put adoption before union with Christ after the great exchange. So my instinct says that if we were to do it again, and these are some of the things that because this is our first run of Gospel Well, and there will be some changes and some editing going on for the next round, which we hope will be in September, is that it would be great exchange. Because the way that I hear and heard your talk on Tuesday, it almost makes logical sense for it to be great exchange. It depends on what Michael speaks about. Maybe death to life, union with Christ, adoption. Or at the very least, because I think holiness and sin is right as a basis for preparing for the great exchange. But then it would be maybe union with Christ, adoption, death to life. I just think that adoption and union with Christ might be flipped better because to me, union with Christ is sort of um, a concurrent fruit of our great exchange. Almost immediate though, spontaneous. Once that justification happens, we're united with Christ. And then the adoption is the fruit of that, of being united with Christ. I think we have to make a presentation in some sort of chronological order, right? Everything is so integral, integrated into the gospel that it's hard to put a chronological order. Do you think it's chronological? I wouldn't think it's a... Oh, sorry. Logical order. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many things that are logically connected to the gospel. When sonship presents adoption or orphans and being a child of God, it presents it near the beginning because that's the angst that we experience, the the gap. We should be children of God, mm -hmm. but we live like orphans. Right. So that's our experienced reality. And he taps into that, mm -hmm. which I think is... But two, Walter Marshall begins his book with Union with Christ. Putting it first... And then explaining it going forward also makes sense mm. because it's so important, union with Christ. The last thing is when I talk about it with, you know, in prior settings, I put union with Christ near the end or closer to the end because there has to be, there's so much explanation of how the, what the gospel is, how the gospel works, how we neglect the gospel and who Christ is in our lives. And then when we get to union with Christ, it all kind of comes together. That's why I put it near the end. Paul, when he writes his letters, I think there's a logical order or a presentation order. He talks about the gospel. He talks about what Christ has done. He talks about our issues. But eventually he'll come to union with Christ. And then he'll say, now you're united to Christ, but you're also united to the body of Christ. Yes, that is a topic we did talk about. I shared how I will be covering a little bit of that, right? Because uh, another way of looking at it is a gospel community. I mean, we, we call our small groups that. What does that look like? 
I think that presentation order for me is significant,、mm-hmm. and that's why I put it. You want to put it at the end, I, which is fine. Not at the end, but、What? in in the same similar presentation order, because it makes sense to me. Because a lot of Pauline letters follow that,、mm-hmm. and that's not my concoction. I checked with a Westminster professor. You don't need to check with Westminster professor.、Yeah. You checked、oh, with the Apostle Paul, right? And he said, "Go for it, Fuji." <laughs> and, he, and that professor and Apostle Paul says, "That sounds about right, <laughs> right?" I was like, "Oh, I, I just took that and ran with it." There's so many, so many things lead into union with Christ, and then flow from、mm. union with Christ, including you're united to the body of Christ,、mm-hmm. the Church. Hence, membership.、Mm-hmm. Yes.、Right? Yeah. Hence baptism, hence Lord's Supper in the church, yes, and also hence missions, yes, and so on. So, yes, union with Christ is that critical juncture. You know what the jaws of death are? Fire.、Um, yes, fighters use Scott Pinloy. He's used it. Oh, that thing is mighty powerful. The car is stuck. They need to get the person out. Jaws of death come in, just prize the whole thing open, and the person is pulled out. I'm wondering if union with Christ is the jaws of death. <laughs> <laughs> Any metaphor or analogy will always come up short, but I like the idea of jaws of death being—it's a misnomer, because the jaws of death actually provide life. So I don't know why they would call it jaws of death when it's actually jaws of life. It reminds me a little bit of. You know how they have the、uh, ordering of of redemptive history, like the Pactus Salutis. So you have covenant redemption, covenant works, covenant of grace, grace, and you know the just this ordering of things of how God orders things, and it's very diverse in the way in which people see it. I don't think it's necessarily a right or wrong per se. I don't think this is a right or wrong issue of the ordering of how we're determining. Things because, like you said, like we've said, it's not a order of chronology. Because if it was chrono- chronology, then it'd be quite a challenge. Because you'd have to figure out, okay, what happens in sequence. A lot of times, it's simultaneous. You know, so I don't even know if saying it's a logical order is necessarily the case either. Because that would make it seem like, okay, we've determined this is the logical order, and. I think other people would have a very different view of the logical order of things. For us, an order of our own emphasis, what we feel is the emphasis that we want to pose. Because when Jack Miller or Surge World Harvest Mission, when they were putting together Sonship, they took the emphasis of we want to go with your personal experience, sons and orphans, and use that as a launchpad to then progress through some. Of the theological slash practical implications of that need, we're not taking it from that step. We're taking it from what we think of as the best, our own best logical order. It's probably not going to be exact. It will be, I would imagine, we might even say, okay, let's keep it this way for next term, and then maybe like five years from now, we might think, ooh, as we've been doing it, and as we've been processing it. We do see that maybe we should swap around certain things. So, I don't think we would, you know, hold ourselves to certain, to even a certain sequence per se, based on how it is right now. 
So Union with Christ could be at the end because you see it as sort of a, a wrap-up or a summary of things. I know you've thought about Union with Christ much more than I have. Like that's not necessarily something that I would say I see as like, oh, that's, I do see it scripturally, like you said, in, in uh, Paul's letters, in John 15 and abiding in the vine. Um, but as to like how that all plays out, that's something that I haven't wrestled with as much as you have. I feel like, like you, you said, even your dad wrote his doctoral dissertation on it. And here's my question to you on that is how much of what you have been thinking about with the union of Christ has been, I mean, there are outside of you, I don't know anyone, maybe Jonathan Edwards Jr. Who was not a great theologian in his own right. Who've been influenced by their own father's PhD. <laughs> it just, that just doesn't happen too often. Um, and here you are, you're literally quoting from your dad's PhD dissertation. So what influence do you feel like your dad has had? And how has that, what does that look like for him? Not just theologically, but um, not just intellectually and theologically, but how have you seen that play out in his life that has impacted you so that you're actually processing this idea as well? I think uh, with my dad being this scholar, pastor, and a person of prayer, he was intrigued that God's word is a binding or a uniting instrument. And for him to be a student of God's word, and then for the word to be that binding, uniting instrument was fascinating to him. And then he realized as he was studying this is that union with Christ, though so important for the Christian life, there was very little written on it, hence his difficulty in finding books on it. Mm -hmm. So he had to search wide and long. And then because I had to edit his papers, edit his chapters, that's when I... Now, this is in English? This is all in English. It's all in English. Yeah. So he's trying to find books on the topic, but he's having a hard time finding books on the topic. Yeah. And then on top of that, trying to find union with Christ in the Korean language, mm. that's even tougher yeah. because, and he goes through uh, Korean church history and of where union with Christ is diminished. It's not well, raised it's up or it's not in a significant doctrine mm -hmm. in the Korean church. He goes through a, a portion of a chapter on that. Mm. But coming back around, him being a person of prayer, him uh, seeking Christ out in the midst of his prayer, I know that because mm -hmm. that's uh, he shares with me mm -hmm. how he prays. And that intimacy, connection, mm -hmm. and confidence, it's all there. He meditates on scripture. He seeks after Christ mm. and the intimacy and the imminence of Christ is there. Now, that doesn't mean that I have that. Oh, I don't be <laughs> modest. I, I just get a little glimpse and experience of it. But I think around the same time that I was editing his dissertation or helping to edit his dissertation, mm -hmm. that's when I was growing in the gospel. And that's when I was reading certain authors that mention union mm -hmm. with Christ. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, later on, Walter Marshall mm. that talks about union with Christ. Yeah. And that's when, you know, I realized, wow, this, not realize, I don't know, discover for afresh. Yes. I mean, we all kind of learned yes. it, right? It's, it's all there. The people talk yeah. about it. Professors talk about it. It's just that 
it's not readily talked mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. or yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not readily talked about it's true i could see why it's not talked about because it seems abstract you know it doesn't seem like or it's something that we take for granted oh of course we are but as to what that really means maybe there are just different ways to look at it like for example um and this is coming off of a question off of our last podcast um, it wasn't about union with Christ, but it was about adoption and it was coming from George and he had asked the question of what about suffering? He was saying how in adoption, one of the areas we didn't cover was this concept of, and I think because he's dealing with real orphans who are really suffering, right? And sometimes the, uh, yeah, you're adopted in Christ, but still the suffering remains, you know, it's not like it just disappears all of a sudden. Everything's joyous. And so what do you do with that? And so, you know, may, I've been thinking about this for a while, but I actually want to take this and ask you a question about it and the under the rubric of union with Christ. And it's, maybe it's, it's actually something that I feel like a lot of older Christians would have a lot more to speak on because, you know, where the Apostle Paul says, I think it's in Philippians chapter three, where... Paul says we're united, he's united with Christ in his sufferings. I mean, that's a union with Christ picture. And I think a lot of us think of, well, union with Christ means that we're set free. And we are, we absolutely are. And union with Christ means uh, we have a new identity and new hope. But there's also that side that Paul definitively, I, I think it's, it's Galatians 6, where he talks about, I bear the marks of Christ, meaning probably his, literally his scars from his beatings, right? That he's taken on because of his worship with Christ. But it's also the idea that just as Jesus was crucified, so too Paul suffers. Yes, we're raised to life, union with Christ, but we also suffer with Christ. Now, this is, again, this is a topic that I think we don't cover that much because we don't like talking about how God can use even our sufferings. How would you speak to that? Say, what does union and Christ look like when it comes to union with Christ, even in his sufferings? Whoa. Big question. It's it's a big question. I think it's an important one, especially in a place like ours where we so want to run away from suffering. You know, we so, we're in a prosperous land as to how long, how much longer, we don't know, but, and we strive for comfort and safety, security. This is not going to be the best response, but what came to mind is as Christ incarnated into our dimension, he didn't just empathize with our suffering mm -hmm. and suffering in sin, suffering in a world that is deteriorating because of sin, but he entered into it. He walked into it. And walking into it and experiencing for himself is different than him kind of seeing it from a distance. Mm. And I think when we are united with him, we too must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and enter into suffering and be okay with suffering. This story I, I always think about is, and I think it's from Bill Crispin, my mentor. He says, um, there's a difference between you thinking about the racism that people experience in the city of Philadelphia versus you actually going living there and experiencing it. Mm -hmm. 
the story that I have in my head is I was trying to church plan in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, right outside of Philadelphia. It is more diverse as an area than Philadelphia itself. In the high school, some 60 languages are spoken. And I went as part of the church planting work. I had to connect with people in the area. So I got to know the ESL teacher. And the ESL teacher, when I went and visited her uh, in the high school and just getting to know her, she said something that was really interesting. She's white. She never faced racism. Mm. But when she got there and was doing all this connecting with immigrants, the local councilman who really did not like immigrants, he was going after her. He was going after the high school welcoming all these immigrants legal and illegal ones. And so she was experiencing all this kind of oppression from mm. that particular councilman. Mm. And when I heard that, I was like, wow, there's a difference between thinking how bad racism is in Upper Darby versus when you're yes. there helping immigrants, you're going to get it too. Mm. And that suffering mm -hmm. helps to mm. experience what it means to be one with this group of people. Here comes mm -hmm. Jesus who enters into our lives mm -hmm. to experience what we experience. And he's saying, you want to experience what I mm -hmm. experienced? When you're united with me, you mm -hmm. too will go mm. to places and do ministry and to enter into other people's lives to experience a little bit of that suffering. Mm. And when we do, it's actually camaraderie with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's excellent. I really appreciate that that illustration that you gave, because I think that just gives us a really good picture of what Jesus did for us and then how also we are to be with him and to know him. So, you know, the Apostle Paul saying that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, Philippians 3.10, and then the fellowship of his sufferings. <laughs> you talked about fellowship being something that it's not just about eating together. Well, here's an instance where fellowship it's not about bowling or having like a small group. How many of us would ever use the word fellowship and suffering together? That's not really a word that we usually combine the two, right? And so I, I think what you're saying is that Christ truly being incarnated into flesh, therefore he's able to understand us, Hebrews 2, right? In our weaknesses and when we're tempted, he's able to help us. But that same union with Christ then, because he did that with us, then when we are united with Christ, there should be a means by which we also are able to empathize, know the Lord better, but also as well as for us to be able to care for other people. It, it sort of is this multitude of means by which we're able to draw from our union with Christ in our suffering. And this could be the same in resurrection as well, but in, in this case, it's suffering. And then we can actually know how to care for someone in their suffering or in their weakness. It's such a really, to me, it's such a beautiful picture of the union with Christ. And one thing that I would look at it is that it's so interesting how I was having this conversation with someone who um, their one of their parents died. And when she was at the funeral, people would say the most hurtful things, you know, not, not intentionally, but you know, things like don't cry because your mother is with the Lord in heaven. So you shouldn't be crying. And if you're crying, then you're not really, I know it sounds odd. 
that could be really understood in light of union with Christ. If you understand union with Christ, you wouldn't say something like that. You would say, you would weep when someone's weeping, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. Union with Christ helps you to truly be empathetic, compassionate. If we really understand the theology of that and the doctrine of that, then a verse like that really comes into play. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, because Jesus has done exactly that with us. So we're united with him because he did that in his incarnation, in his suffering and death and resurrection. So too we are to go and do likewise. But if you don't get union with Christ, it makes sense why you would have no category as to say, what do I say to someone who's suffering? You just don't know because it's you're not with that person. It's, it's exactly what you just said. That illustration of the, the council person and um, the councilman, you know, the person who experienced that sense of racism, not even due to their own race, but due to the fact that they're helping someone. Yeah, that, that's a great illustration of how we really miss out on this idea. And if we get it, it will change the way that we think of our neighbor who maybe is ethnically different from us and speaks a totally different language. They're the foreigner. And you know what? Anyone who's experienced being a foreigner, if you become enclosed and racist, and there will come a day you will treat someone else because it's, it's like a person who's been child abused. You know, you say, I'm never going to be like that. Then you have your own children and you become a child abuser because the cycle of the gospel is not broken that. And so the person who has received, maybe they've been treated a certain way because they're an immigrant, you're an outsider, but eventually you become the insider. And then you treat the other new outsider, the latest outsider, the same way that you were treated. The only way that changes is the gospel. And union with Christ, to me, is such a beautiful theological truth to give us tools to fight against that and to really have that heart of compassion, empathy. You know, union with Christ means that my past is gone. Mm -hmm. My union with Adam is gone. Mm -hmm. And now I'm united to Christ. Mm -hmm. Another way of saying is old creation is gone. New creation is here. Yeah. Uh, No longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. fundamental change in who we are according to God, mm-hmm. there is this break. Mm-hmm. And union with Christ makes that break real in our lives. Mm-hmm. And that ministers to, if you work that out, that ministers. Who I was, that's in the past. Mm-hmm. Who I am in Christ is so much more mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. My past is right. dealt with. Right. It's no longer Fuji 1.0, 2.0, mm-hmm. 3.0. It's I'm a, very, I'm a different mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. I think that's how union with Christ and suffering comes into play is this, is that when you are united to Christ in his sufferings, it's not that you don't suffer anymore in this world, at least. There will come a day where there's no more suffering. But in this world, even if united with Christ, actually you're united with him in his sufferings. And it's both in its theological form of who he is, but it also allows us to suffer as one who is united with Christ. And that looks very different in the old creation and the new creation. Because the old has gone, we will suffer very differently. We'll fall into depression, self-pity, anger, questioning God's justice. New creation, it's not that we're not tempted to feel those things. We are still tempted, 
But at the end of the day, there's still ultimately a sense of I am in Christ. So we can even see suffering like the Apostle Paul experienced in Second Corinthians chapter 12, where Christ wants to show him his grace is sufficient for him in his suffering so that he would understand. And I think it's interesting that it's his grace, the Lord's grace, and the Lord's grace is exhibited most through the cross of Christ and the resurrection. So there's something about the suffering that Paul was going to face that was going to exhibit a, a, a new way of seeing the Lord that he wouldn't have seen prior to, definitely prior to knowing Christ, but even without the suffering. It just literally transforms everything that we do. So I really like what you're saying about this, the the Second Corinthians 5.17 perspective of, therefore, you know, if we're in Christ, if we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old is God, the new has come. And that can even be in how we suffer. And that'll be vastly different. Even though, look, it might, we're still suffering the same thing. Cancer. And I've seen that, you know, you've seen that. Someone about to approach death. Union with Christ impacts the way you approach death. Same. Yeah, I think union with Christ helps to understand what Jesus has done. And that what we have and are continuing to work out into our lives, I think you need union with Christ to make sense of that. Mm -hmm. Did your group bring up issues or questions about union with Christ? One of the longstanding questions, it happens almost every time we meet, and it's not necessarily about union with Christ per se, but it's more just in general. It's, why did I not hear this in my church before? That just keeps coming up time and time again. And so the thinking is, okay, either we're speaking something so heretical and absolutely new that that's why they never heard it before, because it's heretical and new and crazy. And, and so therefore, it's as if we're speaking Martian or Vulcan or Klingonese, or it wasn't taught. And then the question is, why wasn't it taught in the churches I was in? So we, we actually have been wrestling with that question quite often, and it tends to be per week. And I do think that there is a, like your dad was looking through the literature, let's say on just this one topic of union with Christ and just not finding too much out there. But then you have people like Greg Beale writing a tome on it, you know, and so maybe it's, it's coming out. It's taken a while. <laughs> Thank you so much no, for no, no, no. speaking on a really wonderful, maybe a topic that isn't so thought about. Now, another thing I was thinking is that the reason why we don't hear this is because there are a lot of different ways to say it. Like you, you expressed a number of different ways just now to express union with Christ without saying the phrase. Maybe that's why, because we haven't heard the actual term like that. But who hasn't read the New Testament where we see in Christ, in Jesus, in him, that's all over the place. So I might not use the phrase union with Christ, but it's there. Once we are made aware, then we'll see it. Mm. It's hard to unsee it, thankfully. Mm -hmm. We'll grow in it. Mm -hmm.